The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today is Halloween, and we thought today's guest might fit the bill. That is, if you think waking up in the morgue is something appropriate to the season. It was July 1968 when high school senior Belinda Carter, while thinking about the plans for her date that night, was run down by an 86-year-old and experienced the bliss of the white light of heaven. What a shock, then, to recover consciousness in a dark place that turned out to be the uh, funeral homes, the local funeral homes morgue. And here to tell her story is Belinda Carter Allard. Belinda, welcome to NDE Radio. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm doing okay this morning. Excellent. Excellent. Belinda, before we begin, I should tell the audience that we met at the hospital where we both work in Bangor, Maine. And yeah. my job as uh, chaplain, I was telling someone about NDEs when Nurse Belinda walked by, heard near-death experience, and told me she said that I had said the magic words. And and then she told me the story she's about to tell you. So why don't you uh, why don't you go ahead, Belinda? Okay, um, it was wonderful at the time that it happened. It was just amazing. Um, it was July 1968, and I know it's been 48 years, but it's it's like it just happened yesterday because I can remember everything that happened. I had just finished my junior year of house at Alfred High School, and I had a part-time summer job at Brit's Department Store. And um, I walked on High Street every morning, which is the main route to Bar Harbor. And um, I did have a date that night with Lewis Willie, but the good Lord had different intentions. <laughs> I, I, I was walking, and it was such a beautiful summer day that it was warm, the nice cool breeze, and you know traffic was going back and forth to Bar Harbor. Walked that route many, many days. And I can remember the exact dress I was wearing, the shoes, and I was walking. And I thought, oh, what a beautiful day. Then in the blink of an eye, I was gone. I was in this most beautiful white light. And you could just feel the love and the peace. And I am like, it was so amazing. I, it was just wonderful. And I don't know how long I was there. I can't remember time. Time didn't matter at that point. Mm. And I came out and I looked down on the ground. I was like way up in the way up in heaven and I could look down and I saw somebody on the ground and all these people around and I knew it was me. Mm. And I kept thinking, I've got to go back. I've got to go back. So I went back to this beautiful light in this heaven. I don't know how long I was there. But I can remember just how beautiful and peaceful and wonderful it was, and I just wanted to stay there. So, so when you transitioned out of your body, you don't even remember like your soul leaving your body. You were just instantly in the white Taken. light. Yeah. Wow. And uh, but but from where from your vantage point up there, you could see the scene below as well. That's for, it's could. really an interesting combination of. Uh, of a near-death experience and an out-of-body experience. 
Yeah, both at the same time. And oh, when I yeah. looked down, I knew it was me, and I, I had to go back. I remember thinking twice, i got to go back, i got to go back, because I didn't want to be a part of that. I wanted to go back to where I was. You mean back to the white light? Back to the white light. Yeah. Yep. And then the next thing I remember, I woke up, and I was in this very dark room. I don't remember laying on anything hard or soft. I don't remember being warm or cold. I didn't hear anybody, but it was just for a moment. And then I went unconscious again. Then the next thing I remember, I remember I was lying on some kind of a table or a bed. And someone was asking me questions like, what was my name? When was my birthday? My eyes are closed at this time. And I kept thinking, why is somebody asking me these questions? And then he said, I want you to open your eyes and look at the clock on the wall. I opened my eyes. I could see nothing. I started screaming. I can't see. I can't see. And I passed oh. out again. Scary. The next, thing, the next thing I remember, I was in a vehicle of some sort. I was moving, but I was laying down. And I opened my eyes, and when I opened my eyes, I saw Kenny Jordan, and I'm thinking, why am I looking at Kenny Jordan? <laughs> and something was said, and I don't know what it was, and then all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. And I said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Open the window, and I passed out again. Yeah. You'll have to tell the audience who Kenny Jordan is. I will tell you in the end who Kenny Jordan is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> then the next thing I remember, I am lying on a table. I went unconscious. After I saw Kenny Jordan and spoke with him, and I couldn't breathe. The next thing I remember, I am lying on a table or a bed or something again. My eyes are closed. I didn't even open my eyes. And someone put something in my left hand, like a piece of cloth or something, and I can remember dropping it. And that's all I remember. Then the next thing I remember, I woke up, and I am in this great big, huge hospital ward with about 30 other patients. I was in the bed right next to the wall so I could see all the patients in the whole whole ward. They were moaning and groaning like me. And <laughs> I'm like feeling myself and I am just literally covered with dirt. I could barely move. My head was in such pain. My back, my right hip, right leg. I was just, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have been hit by a car. And um, I remember asking the nurse for a couple of Tylenol for a headache. She wouldn't give it to me. She said, we can't give you anything. You've had a head injury. And she walked away. Okay. I don't remember how many days I was in the hospital. I don't remember eating. I don't remember going to the bathroom. I don't remember doing anything because I was in and out of consciousness so much. It was just unreal. Then the last day I was at the hospital, the nurse says, okay, you can get up now. She let the side rail down. I stood up. And I passed out again and hit the floor. Oh. When I came to, I was sitting in the chair, and Dr. Ballesteros, the neurosurgeon, and Dr. Irwin, which is also a neurosurgeon, was just standing over me, asked me what happened. I said, I have no idea. <laughs> but the, then I went home, but the headaches would not go away. They were just so intense. It's like if you dropped a pin on the floor, it sounded like an explosion. It hurt so bad. And that was... That was in July of 68, so in 69, uh, February of 69, I went into the hospital and had a blood clot removed from my brain, mm. which they did not put me awake. They strapped me down on a the table, they shoved Novocaine in my head, 
and they took the knife and just cut my head wide open, and then blood just gushed everywhere. It was horrible. It was, I, I couldn't get out. If I could have ran, I would have run and get out. I just could not get out because I was strapped down so tight. Wow, you were conscious for that, huh? I was conscious for the whole thing. Holy yeah. smokes. Wow. So it was, when I got back to my room, it was like, they didn't even give me a washcloth or nothing to wash my face. This was at Eastern Maine General Hospital in Bangor, Maine. And they wouldn't even give me a washcloth to wash my face. I mean, it was, it took me three attempts to get out of bed because nobody would help me. But the, the sensation finally came back into my face and I could feel my head. And then I had finished my senior year and I was working at Jasper's restaurant after I'd finished my senior year. And when you go into the restaurant, you can go into the main front door and you can go right which is the main dining room or you can go into the left which is like an ancillary dining room mm-hmm. and in comes this tall distinguished gentleman in a suit i thought i am to meet this man never saw the man before in my entire life didn't know who he was so he walks into the ancillary dining room and orders a cup of coffee so i went and got him a cup of coffee and set the cup down and then he stood up and he said you're Belinda Carter, aren't you? I said, yes. He stood up. He reached for my hand. He shook my hand. He says, I am so sorry. I thought you were dead. I am so, so sorry. I thought you were dead. He identified his name as uh, Dale Jordan from Jordan's Funeral Home. He was the mortician that picked me up. And Kenny Jordan was a relative of his that had, was working as an apprentice at the funeral home. So when you when you saw Kenny Jordan looking at down at you, you were probably still in the funeral home. I was probably still there. I have no. And when he said that, you know, I'm sorry, I thought you were dead. I must have been transported from somewhere. But the only person I ever told, I kept this all to myself because I didn't think anybody would believe me. The first person I told about heaven was Dale Jordan, the mortician from Jordan's funeral home. Oh, when he came to visit you at the restaurant? When he came at that restaurant, he was, I guess he felt like he had to apologize to me, I guess. I don't know. Uh-huh. Well, what did he say about your story? He he just stood there in shock. He could not believe and I said, I was dead. And I told him how beautiful heaven was. I told him what it was like up there. I told him that I looked down and I saw everything that was going on, but I didn't want to deal with it. And I kept saying in my mind, I have to go back. I have to go back. And I went back to heaven. It was, and he just stood there and he just couldn't believe that he was actually talking to me. Wow. Because he thought, sure, that I, he, I was gone. I, I had no medical people come. There was it was just the undertaker and and uh, the apprentice, which was the Jordan family at the from the funeral home. Mm. Things have changed a lot since then, haven't they? <laughs> yes, they have. I think I would have had somebody from the medical team come and pick me up instead of the undertaker. I hope. Abs- I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, mistakes like that uh, would be less likely to be made if you had some paramedics on the scene instead of the mortician. Yeah. But you know, I'm thinking in, in listening to your story again, it must, it should be a really important part of the whole NDE uh, phenomenon to let um, people that run funeral homes know about this stuff because 
they are in part there to comfort the families of, of, mm-hmm. the, of the dead person. And very few of them that I've ever talked to uh, know much about near-death experience, or if they do, they probably don't talk about it in their, uh, you know, in their business practice. Right. And, and yet, it could be such a comfort to uh, to families to to know that there is an afterlife, that there is a heaven, and uh, that they're, you know, they they don't have to worry about their relatives. No, I did go down to the funeral home, to Jordan's funeral home there in Ellsworth to see if I could find Kenny Jordan, and unfortunately I couldn't. Um, he is probably about 70 years old now. But I did talk to Audrey at the funeral home. She was one of the representatives, whatever, there. And I did tell her the story, and she goes, I believe this. I do believe this. This is true. Yeah. I said, yeah, it it is true. And when I heard you say NDE on that patient's room in 600 bed A, I'm like, the antenna went off, and I'm like, oh, NDE, near-death experience, yes, that's me. Well, you, you, know? you flew into the room. I was, I was very, ex- <laughs> I was, I was really amused, but I, uh, I think I knew immediately that you had experienced something like that yourself. Um, yeah. I was. I came right in the room and I said, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing is that uh, you're working as a nurse. You, how long have you been a nurse? Uh, since uh, 1978. And yet you said you hadn't heard any patients talk about having a near-death experience. I have not. Not really. I have not. That's so amazing to me because as a chaplain at the same hospital, uh, I, I run into people all the time who have had an experience or want to talk about an experience like that who are, uh, and I use, I use this material all the time uh, in talking to patients who are, uh, you know, concerned about dying. It's, um, it's such a powerful, uh, way to communicate, you know, to someone who does not have a, uh, necessarily have a religious faith of any sort that, uh, that there is a soul and there is an afterlife and there is a God that loves us. Oh, there so, is. Yeah. But anytime you want to have a patient talk, you know, wants to talk about, you know, you can come up to the floor and get me and I can, you know, willingly <laughs> talk to the patient so, and on any floor, you know. Yeah. But I have talked to, you know, I have had some patients that uh, were worried about it and I did tell them, you know, about my experience. I've told a couple of people and um, they were quite amazed to hear the story. It sounds to me, too, like, uh, I mean, your experience in the hospital was not a very pleasant one. I mean... Absolutely it just seems, not. seems like uh, the nursing practices at that point where the nurse, after you'd been in bed for quite a long time, to, to just lower the sidebar and say, okay, you can get up now and walk away. Yep, she that, did. Something that would never happen, hopefully, uh, today. I hope not. Yeah, but. I mean, so you have to stay right there with a if Anyone that's just getting up after they've been in bed for, for a long time is, is bound to be dizzy. Yeah. But I mean, I was, I mean, 17 years old. I mean, they thought probably I was moving around in the bed. I was talking and they probably thought I was all right, but right. I wasn't, obviously. Yeah. Now, where, when you were in the white light, do you recall uh, hearing any voices or seeing any other beings? None. Mm. But you knew you, you, you knew, did you think that this white light was God? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. You knew, you absolutely knew. And you didn't want to come back. I did not want to come back. No, I did not want to. Yeah. Huh. Did you? Do you feel like you had any particular uh, differences in your life 
plan after you came back? I mean, do you think this influenced your becoming a nurse, for instance? No, not becoming a, a nurse, but I, I look at things differently than I think a lot of people look at things. I can sense things that are different, you know, hmm. like things just feel different to me probably than somebody than other people do. Hmm. Had you uh, had a religious background? I mean, were you going to church when you were a teenager? I uh, know, but when I... Oh, see, I was born in 1951, and mm-hmm. I went to Surrey Grammar School in Surrey, Maine. And we had, when we started school, like kindergarten, first and second grade, we had Mrs. Bonzi as a teacher, and she would read from the Bible every day. We would always say the Lord's Prayer, and we saluted the flag. And we did that for kindergarten through sixth. Probably the seventh grade, we started just doing moment of silence and saluting the flag. I was in that era where separation of church and state or whichever, so you, it was a religious thing where you couldn't read from the Bible anymore. I was in that era, so I mm-hmm. saw the whole thing. But I can remember Mrs. Bonzi going through the, uh, Psalm 1, Psalm 100, the 26th Psalm, and we memorized those Psalms. I, I uh, had that same experience in grammar school and I was, uh, I grew up in New Jersey and I remember Miss, Mrs. Dugan, who was actually my parents' teacher as well when they were, uh, in grammar school. And oh. then, uh, she was quite elderly when I got her, but, uh, she had us memorize Psalms and, uh, uh, I, and it, it's been a, a real blessing actually to, oh, yes. uh, even, be, even before I, even before I became a, a, a pastor and a chaplain to, mm-hmm. to have that material in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, were you, um, uh, how, how did you feel? I mean, you didn't want to come back and then you were back. Did you, or, I mean, did you feel depressed or, uh, sad I in was, any way? I was pissed off at the good Lord for bringing me back. I did not want to come <laughs> back. I was so ticked off at him for quite a while. <laughs> I just did not want to come back. But what the nice thing about it was, there was when they say it was a blink of an eye. I mean, I was healthy, walking, bam, done. I was in heaven. I mean, it was just the blink of an eye, and it was over. And you think that the driver, this eighty-six-year-old, had a, a TIA or something that caused he him? Had some, mm-hmm, he had some kind of a mini stroke, or he had a seizure. He does not. Re, he did not remember it, as I was told, because he they took him to the hospital also. Mm. Did he stop, or did he just keep driving? He kept right on driving. Someone. From what I was told, um, Sterling Bunker had White's Auto right across from where I got hit, and there were the mechanics and gas stations and everything out. Someone had literally got in that vehicle and, and chased him down mm. to stop him. He must have felt terrible about uh, doing that. Well, it was kind of odd because um, when I w- went into my senior year, I took driver's ed, the first part of my senior year, and then I went for my driver's license. When I went to DMV, the gentleman that did my driver's test recognized the name Belinda Carter. And he said, you're Belinda Carter, the one that was hit on High Street. And I said, yes, I was. And he said, do you know that that gentleman, I cannot remember his name now. The gentleman came in. He took a written test and passed, and they gave him his driver's license back, and he's out on the road driving. Wow. They gave him his license back. (laughs) You'd think his insurance company would have uh, denied him coverage after uh, an accident like that. Did, did he was you, a retired uh, lawyer. Uh, well, that might have had something to do with it. 
Did you did your family or did you put in a claim for the accident for the expense of recovery? Yeah, yeah. yeah. because we had to have medical bills and everything paid for. Because I had every me and my glasses were broken. You know, I didn't have any dress or shoes. I, I didn't have anything. Everything was ripped and torn. What did uh, What did your date say when he learned of the accident? Did you ever talk to him after that? Well, he did. He came up to see me one of those nights. I can't remember which night it was. He bought me a plant, and he never asked me out again. Oh, maybe he thought he jinxed you somehow. I don't were, know. <laughs> I don't were you, know. Were, <laughs> were, you, were you fond of this guy? Were you sorry that he didn't ask you out again? No, and you know what? I was laying in the bed, and I'm, I said, thank you, Lord, for me being hit by a car. Because what could have happened? See, I was... Going to, we were going to go to his parents' camp, and I was going to cook him dinner. We uh-huh. were just going to have dinner. Well, to begin with, there was no food. I didn't know if he was going to bring anything or I was going to bring anything. I didn't know what was going to happen. What could have happened at that camp could have been worse than being hit by a car. Mm-hmm. He was 19, and I was 17. And you guys were going to be alone? Yes. Well, well so I suppose could you could look... Good look, look upon it as being a blessing. <laughs> um, do uh, do do you think you were thinking about him when you got hit? No, no. I was just thinking what a beautiful day it was, and the sun was uh, out, and it was just one of those lovely days. You know, and I you wasn't were, even. Mm-hmm. And you were crossing the street. He didn't run up on the sidewalk or anything. I like was that. not crossing the street. I was. Um, on the, uh, well, there's a main road and there's a, a piece of tar where you can go out onto the business. I was walking in the dirt. I wasn't even crossing the street. I was in oh. the right of way. I was on, I was just walking. Mm. I wasn't crossing the street. I wasn't in the road. I wasn't, in, I was just where I was supposed to be. And he passed out and ran right over me. So he swerved into you then? Yes, he did. Wow. You know, this, uh, this story, it it makes me uh, feel so uh, I don't know nostalgic I guess is the word for the way Maine used to be uh, back in the day when you were growing up everyone knew everyone else if they saw an accident like that the, somebody would hop in the car and chase the cha- mm-hmm. you know chase the offender down and yep. and uh, they made allowances for things like the mortician to decide whether you're alive or dead which <laughs> probably was not a good thing but everything was. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was uh, much less formal uh, and and uh, structured the way it is today. Right. Um, yeah. The first uh, were you first in the Ellsworth Hospital? Do you suppose? I think I was probably there first, but I don't remember. Mm. And I was transferred to Bangor. And then when you th- when you were thinking about such a a huge room with all of these people in pain and and moaning, that was up at Eastern Maine. That was at Eastern Maine, yes. Mm. So it was like the ICU unit is basically, in some ways, even today, the old ICU. Um, I don't know. It was a big ward. They didn't even put an IV in my hand, nothing. I was just left there. Oh, the treatment would be much better now than... (laughs) than Yeah, I would have had an IV and I would have had neuro (laughs) exam and, you know, I would have checked to make sure I had a pulse and a heartbeat. But you know what? I really didn't think I did at that time. I think my body just like literally went into shock when that car literally hit me. Mm. Wow. If um, 
if you were going to, uh, if you were talking to someone who was, say, an atheist, mm-hmm. what, how how would you approach? And I'm I'm asking this actually as a from a professional point of view. How would you go about telling them about your experience besides the details of what you? What, what would you tell tell them about the feelings that you had? I would actually tell them just exactly what happened with the accident and in the blink of an eye, I was in heaven and I would have told them exactly what it felt like. Mm. And you knew, I mean, like like dreams, good dreams you remember for a while but you forget and bad dreams you remember for a while and you forget. But when you go to heaven, you don't forget it. Mm. And you're never afraid of death after that? No. Nope. No. Nope. Now... The white light was not a was not uh, a he or a she or a personality that spoke to you, and you felt like you were one with the light. Did you feel like you were merging into the light, or that you I wanted was, to merge into the light? I was in it. I mean, when I was hit, that was it. It was like yeah. I was in it. There was no going up, like ascending into heaven or anything. I mean, I was in it. Just like that, bam! It was it was there. I was there, which but later, kind of shocks me because I hear people say that they they go up and they they see angels and they go into the light. It's like I was already in it. See, this is what kind of amazes me to think that when I got hit, because I don't remember seeing the car, I don't remember being hit by the car, I don't remember any pain or anything. I mean, it was just the blink of an eye and it was over. Well, I've heard uh, I've heard some people say that they go have this tremendous feeling of acceleration, but there is um you know something that happens between the body and and heaven often, but uh, you know these things are so personal, so personalized. Every every experience is like a, a learning lesson for the person that goes through it, and yet it has such uh, universal characteristics that it can be of terrific value to to anyone else that hears the story. Um, so when you came back and you were really pissed off, as you say, at God, you weren't pissed off at the light, were you? No. I just wanted to stay there. I didn't want yeah. to come back. That's what I yeah. didn't want to come back. Right. So, so in a way, you differentiate between the experience of God and the idea that God determines, you know, the God of religion determines our fate to some extent. That's true. That is yeah. true. Yeah, we 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 flip to a to a biblical God when we're when we're angry with God more than we are, because when you're in the light, you're you're surrounded by love. It's very hard to to be angry about that. Yeah, but it was yeah. like the the light wasn't like a light that you turn on or an outside light you go out. This was a totally different light. Mm. It was just it was amazing. That's all I can say. It was the most amazing experience I've ever had in my life, and. And if this is the way it's going to be, I'll welcome it. Mm. Well, it's a, it's a, a very interesting thing. Some people go up, go down through a tunnel, wind up in a field, see uh, a beautiful setting, see uh, relatives and friends or angels or Jesus, for that matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yet the the ultimate goal, I think. Is is to become one with that light. Yes. That, mm-hmm. So so I think you uh, you had an extraordinary experience in being there so quickly. 
Yeah, I, think... I mean, I was like totally knocked out. I mean, when that when that my head hit that hood of that car, I mean, it was I was right out. Mm. <laughs> well, Belinda, this is this has been uh this has been fun talking to you about this. Um uh what did decide you to go into nursing? Had you always wanted to be a nurse? Well, you know, back then when we were in the 70s, you were either secretary, a teacher, or a nurse. I didn't want to be a secretary. Teachers, well, I didn't want to do that either. And a nurse, well, I said that was that was just happened to be because I was a nurse's aide first, and then I went to LPN school, then I went right on to RN school. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you enjoyed your career? For most of the time, yes. Yeah, There's it's hard time. work. I, I'm always impressed with how you know how hard work, uh, how much hard work that is involved in the nursing career, and yet how vital it is, how important it is to to us, to the society generally, and yeah, to each patient. individual patient. Yeah, patients don't. Well, thank you. Like they used to. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, thank you so much. First for, of all, for sharing your story, and uh, thank you for being a nurse, and uh, and uh, and thank you for um, just uh, well doing our Halloween show, being willing to come out on the air on Halloween and talk about waking up in the morgue. Yes, and thank you for our first meeting. Oh yes, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> well, we are out of time for today. So, folks, if you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to the website at nderadio.org. For more information about IANS, you can check out their website at iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.